Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Like always, we like to thank everybody who participated in our worship this morning. It is just awesome to see the gifted individuals that have been brought here to Villa's Grace Church by the Lord. Thank you again. Another round of applause for our worship this morning. We are coming towards the end. We are actually beginning the second half of our sermon series in the book of Colossians, and we have titled this series, the overarching theme of the book of Colossians is Keystone Theology. And what we mean by that is some of the theology that we find in the book of Colossians is the central focus of the gospel message, because quite clearly thus far we have already seen how Christ holds everything together. And one thing that we always want to be about here at Villa's Grace Church is this, and this is foundational. It is paramount to everything that we do here. We want to be gospel-centric. We want the gospel message, the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ to be our central focus each and every time. If we aren't preaching Christ and Him crucified, the big question you could stand up and ask afterwards is, so what? In fact, I encourage you, if you hear anything ever from this pulpit that doesn't get to Jesus, to stand up afterwards and say, so what? So what? Because if it's not about him, so what? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be able to gather here this morning I believe we live in a day and age where we can now start to realize we took for granted the freedoms to be able to meet together like we were in the past, Lord. And our prayer is that we can continue to be able to come together to encourage each other, as your word tells us, to spur one another on into Christ-likeness. I pray that Villa's Grace Church can be a church that does just that, Lord, but more importantly... I pray that we can be a church that's used to share your good news with others, those who do not know you. I pray that you use us collectively as a whole to evangelize those who you have opened doors for and prepared hearts to hear your message. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's just pretend real quick. I'm pretty good at pretending. Okay. <laughs> Last week, I told you, we're pretending. Last week, I said, hey, we're going to have a play here this Sunday. So you just walk in, and what you see on the screen right now would be the backdrop. You walk in this Sunday, and you see this backdrop behind me right now, covering the whole stage. What play are we about ready to be entertained by? The Wizard of Oz. The yellow brick road as it leads to the Emerald City. So what's the plot of the Wizard of Oz? 
a tornado rips through Kansas, Dorothy and Toto are whisked away from their house to a magical land of Oz, right? They follow the yellow brick road to the Emerald City. Along the way, they meet a scarecrow who needs a brain, we all remember, right? A tin man who needs a heart, and a lion who needs courage. They're off to see the wizard who can help all four companions. See, our backdrop here is that. It is the yellow brick road that leads to the Emerald City. And as all four companions travel this yellow brick road, their focus of their travels are the Emerald City. So everything that we see happening whether it's a play or in our minds we have the original motion picture spinning reels round so we can visualize it mentally, that yellow brick road is leading to the Emerald City. So that backdrop, all of their travels, everything that they are doing within this play or this film has to do with getting to the Emerald City. Because these characters felt helpless without making it to the wizard, right? That Emerald City kept them motivated. It kept their focus central. They all believed that they would receive magical help from the wizard when they arrived. And once they reached the Emerald City, all of their focus and attention was to see everything against their final destination. See, church, we too should see everything against a backdrop. Everything we see here on earth, right here, right now, should be observed as though there's a backdrop of Jesus. As He is our focus for all of eternity. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for our sermon this morning is this, The Risen Connection. The Risen Connection. We are starting chapter 3, which is known as the second half of Colossians, verses 1 through 4. So please join me in your Bibles. If you do not have your Bible, there is no issue with that. All the verses this morning will be on the screen. Last week, we were encouraged to know that Jesus provided the freedom necessary to avoid the desires of our flesh, didn't we? We realized that the corruption of this world system could never divide Christians who in Jesus are forever united. And I don't know about you, but if you know what's going on right now, currently in this world... We've never been more divided and we never have had more people pushing us to become even further divided than what we have had recently here in our own nation. So for me, that's great comfort in the unification of Jesus and what his death, burial, and resurrection means. We also observe that freedom is not achieved by what we do or do not do on our own but rather what God did for us through Jesus. So join me as we 
Look at our focus of attention today. We will seek all the things that are above. We should be encouraged to view the things of this earth against the backdrop of a raised Messiah, a raised Jesus supporting a risen eternity. So, thus we have Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Observing these four verses this morning brings us to this one main idea, putting the four verses into one simple sentence, and that sentence is this. Since Christians are connected to the risen Jesus, we should live now like we've been raised to. Since Christians are connected to the risen Jesus, we should live now like we've been raised to. Henry Drummond was a Scottish evangelist, biologist, writer, and lecturer. He was a Renaissance man, in my opinion. Speaking of lecturer, though, he once famously lectured some students at Edinburgh University, and he did this on two separate occasions. As part of his first lecture, he read a letter signed by a man that signed his name after sending him the letter Thanatus or Thanatus. And simply, Thanatus is a Greek word for death. That's what it means. And in the letter, the man described himself, and check this out and, and take notes of this for yourself personally. He described himself as being a miserable failure. Socially, morally, and spiritually. In his letter, he stated that there's no way out except suicide. Henry Drummond shrugged and said, I don't know how to help this man. He is beyond my help. That's what he told the students as he read this letter now, a year and a half went by, and Henry Drummond lectured again to the students at Edinburgh. And once more, he drew a letter from his pocket. Now, this is the second time. And he says, some of you may remember a letter that I read to you from Thanatus. I have here another letter from him. So he read the letter, which simply said this. This new letter from Thanatus said, I am a new man in Jesus Christ. The same person who said suicide was the only way out now says he was a new man, a new creation in Jesus. Church, before we can begin to focus on the eternal backdrop that we know is Jesus, we must first die to ourselves and be raised to a new life in Jesus. And we observe just that in our first two verses this morning. And when we look at these first two verses, really these two verses are simplistic, just like our Emerald City backdrop illustration from the outset. 
These verses are encouraging us. Their encouragement is for us to make Jesus the backdrop. Make Him the central focus for every single aspect of our lives. So is Jesus your backdrop? Do you observe the things on this earth against the backdrop of Jesus? After all, if you have faith in His death for your sins, then you'll remember that as it says here in the text right now, it says you have been raised with Christ. This means that all believers have participated spiritually in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which is why Thanatus wrote what he wrote and why Henry Drummond shared what he wrote. Church, God created us to die only for us to be reborn through the work of Jesus. And when we're reborn through Jesus, death no longer has dominion over us, which is why we are, as it says, able to seek the things that are above. See, only dead men observe death. And dead men view all aspects of life against the backdrop of Satan. Church, there are no gray areas. Don't get it twisted. There are absolutely no gray areas. It's either or. Either your backdrop is Jesus or your backdrop is Satan. Which do you think this world's backdrop is? When we see what's going on in the world today, what do you think the backdrop is for most of the people narrating to us what's going on? See, that's that's our problem. We we listen to those who are narrating to us the narrative of, of what's going on throughout the world, whether it's true or not. But the problem is we're listening to people who are sharing about what's going on as they see it against the backdrop of Satan. And this is why the majority of all media out there is negative, and it has been negative. That's nothing new now, is it? Do you think that news was positive back in the day, decades ago? No. This is not new stuff. It's all saturated in negativity because the backdrop's wrong. See, When Jesus is your backdrop, we observe him as the end of verse 1 states. See, when he's our backdrop, we observe him as being seated at the right hand of God. Did you know that it's a privilege to have Jesus as your backdrop? That's a privilege. It's not your right. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's a privilege to be able to see Jesus as your backdrop because He's at the right hand of God. He can pour out blessings upon His children. That's what He's doing. He's at the right hand of God right now pouring blessings out upon those who have saving faith in Him. But church, please, whatever you do, do not get your twisted blessings even more twisted. Because that's exactly what we do. What we think is a blessing really is not a blessing. 
More often than not, they are not what we think that they are. So what do you consider to be a blessing? If I asked you, if we just took an average poll and said, what is a blessing? How would you define a blessing? See, I, I think most of us would say, I'm so blessed to have healthy children. As if having an unhealthy child is a curse. See, I, I think if we asked, we would say, I'm so blessed to have received a raise in my salary. As if making less money is sacrilegious. We'd hear things like, I'm so blessed, we're so blessed to have purchased our dream home. As if it's unholy to live in anything less. Church, we've been blessed to be, have given the opportunity to have faith in Jesus. That's a blessing. See, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right now, pouring blessings down upon us. Therefore, God can strip your children of their health. Guess what? You'll still be blessed. God can decrease your salary. Guess what? You will still be blessed. God can rip the roof from above your head. Guess what? You'll still be blessed. Some of you are asking yourselves right now, how is this even possible? How is this a possibility? Well, it's because to receive a blessing to begin with, it's a privilege. Why? Because it's a privilege to be able to do what verse 2 encourages us to do. What does verse 2 say? It says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So what are the blessings in which Jesus rains down upon us? What are these blessings? These blessings are the fact that we can understand spiritual truths. We can understand the root cause of our current reality. We can learn and pursue the will of God. That is a blessing. See, all else can be stripped from you at any given moment. And if it can be ripped away from you, is that truly a blessing? No. A blessing are the things that can never be taken away from us. So it doesn't matter what happens to us here on this earth. Our faith in Jesus is what lasts. Our faith in Jesus is what matters. And when they are stripped from us. We can have confidence that true blessings are not found here on this earth. But they are found when we, as it says, set our minds on things that are above. That's a.k.a. when we see everything against the backdrop of Jesus. That's the yellow brick road that I'm going to follow. Church, True blessings are found when we first commit to dying to this world like Thanatus. Again, why was Thanatus willing to die for Christ or die with Christ? Not for him, but with him. Why was he willing? Because he knew without Jesus, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he was a miserable failure socially, morally, and spiritually. Just like me. He was a failure 
socially, morally, and spiritually just like you. And this brings us to our first point this morning. That point is this. It's a privilege to observe the true blessings found in Jesus. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to observe the true blessings found in Jesus. Again, our main point this morning is this. Since Christians are connected to the risen Jesus, we should live now like we've been raised to. Speaking of blessings found in Jesus, I have a question. And you can ask my wife, I'm more wrong than not. But is it not oxymoronic to call a lost and found box a lost and found box? I mean, yes and no. I, I get it. See, some of you would say, wait, hold on, hold on. This is where you're wrong. That's a description, you would say. You would say, as in something was lost, then it was found. That's why it can be called a lost and found box. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I tend to disagree just a little bit because, see, I believe it should be called a found box. After all, how can something be lost if it's eventually found? Church, do you know what's unfortunate? Too many Christians think that they're in the lost and found box. They think that they can lose their salvation, get found again, get placed back into the box and spend the rest of their lives on this earth wishing and hoping that they'll be found in the box when either A, Jesus returns, or B, upon their death. Do you get what I'm saying? It's almost like they think that I'm in the box. I think I'm in the box. Maybe I'm not in the box. But if I just live a good Christian life, if I just do enough, maybe, just maybe, Mama's going to get a new pair of shoes, and Jesus is going to find me in that box. I'm going to get saved. That's a miserable experience. That's a miserable existence. Church, when you came to a saving faith in Jesus, God didn't put you in the lost and found box. He placed you securely in the found box. Why? Because once you've been raised with Jesus, you're hidden until you'll appear with him in his glory. Oh yeah, that, that reminds me too, doesn't it? Here, here's another question for us to ponder. How, or would you, actually shall I say, would you consider something that's hidden to be lost? It's something that's been hidden. Is it really lost? Let's get our answer from our final two verses this morning. Paul starts off here by saying, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if something is found, was it ever really lost? Again, too many Christians think that they're in the lost and found box as if somehow 
They can be lost just to be found. Just to be lost and possibly be found again is no way to live, as we've said. But what do we actually mean by being lost? What do we mean? Someone who is lost would be someone who claims Christ as their Savior just to be stripped of their salvation later. Therefore, if you could lose your salvation, and if that were true, we're speaking in hypotheticals here, then verse 3 would not state what it states and say, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because when your life is hidden with Christ in God, you're secure for all of eternity. Do you know a fringe benefit of being hidden with Christ in God? One of the main fringe benefits of being hidden in Christ is the fact that he pours down his blessings upon you. The same blessings we've been talking about, which in turn means that you're protected from all the seen and unseen enemies of God. Really, if you look at verse 3 and verse 4, they reveal a past action, a present truth, and a future reality. In verse 3, it says we have died with Christ, which is the past action. And our life is hidden in Him, that is the present truth, which to be hidden with Christ in God is actually a position of privilege, a position to receive His blessings. Now verse 4 reveals our future reality. See, when Christ who is your life appears, we will appear with Him in glory. Church, this is the backdrop we've been talking about. Just to recap and tie all of these verses in, we need to remember something here. And we need to remember that because of the believer's risen connection with Jesus, we are no longer under the dominion of sin. We are no longer under the control that sin has on us. This is the past action. Because of the believer's risen connection with Jesus, we are secure in our eternal salvation. Because of the believer's risen connection with Jesus, we will one day, as it states here in the text, appear with Him in glory. Isn't that amazing? We will appear with Him in glory. So if it's really all about appearing with Him in glory as that future truth, it really doesn't matter what we think is a blessing here on this earth, especially if it doesn't pertain to appearing with Him. So as Mike comes up, allow me to ask you a, a question. If, if there is a past, present, and future aspect of our salvation, then if the backdrop of Jesus has been God's plan since the beginning which is mind-blowing. How could we ever have been placed in the lost and found box? If Jesus still created knowing that He was going to have to go to the cross to save His creation, that doesn't make any sense. He knows all. So what? Does Jesus... If that isn't true, have to go back and do it all over again for you? Is that why some of us maybe are sitting in that lost and found box? Maybe right now, wondering, 
I just hope I get to go to heaven when I die. Church, be encouraged in the saving work of Jesus. Be encouraged in your eternal security. Just like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was a one-time ordeal, your commitment to leave your sin behind and follow him was too. Speaking of commitment, can we all commit to putting our heads down just briefly here for a moment? Just put your head down. And for those of you who have yet to commit to Christ, for those of you who know you're just like Thanatos was before Jesus, and if you're ready to commit to your Lord and Savior, please put your hand up so that I can pray for you. Nobody will know that your hand is up. As we raise our heads back up, we've got to remember we've been left behind for purpose, for reason. See, the purpose that we have when we come together, what we must encourage each other in each and every time is the fact the reason why Jesus left us behind is not so we can wonder and speculate or guess or cross our fingers and hope that maybe someday we'll be saved. No, it's for us to be secure in what Christ has done for us so that we can share that faith with others. That's the whole reason why the church is functioning as it is now so people can come to a saving faith in Jesus. That's what we want to be about. We want to be a church that does exactly what Matthew 28 says. Disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. But we can't begin to do that unless we are confident in our salvation. To know that we died once, one time. Christ's death was sufficient. He doesn't need to do the cross again. And this brings us to our second and final point. And that point is this. The past, present, and future work of Jesus has secured our salvation for all of eternity. Forever. Forever. The past, present, and future work of Jesus has secured our salvation for all of eternity. Again, our first point this morning, it's a privilege. That's something we can never forget. It is a privilege to observe the true blessings found in Jesus. True blessings aren't in our health. They're not in what we receive. They're not tangible goods. True blessings are found in having faith in Jesus. True blessings are being able to see Jesus as our backdrop despite what's right in the forefront of our perception. It's to know no matter what we are getting to Jesus, no matter what it is that the Lord's going to take me through, I know that the end result is Christ. 
And let's not forget our main idea. Since Christians are connected to the risen Jesus, we should live now like we've been raised to. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to be confident in our salvation more and more each day. Allow us to preach that gospel, that portion of the gospel to ourselves. Lord, help us to learn to put you on your rightful throne in our lives each and every day. After all, we know where you are seated. You're seated at the right hand. I want to pray again for you to continue to open doors, prepare hearts for your gospel message, and use us collectively as a whole to share your truth with others. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.